What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colors they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, the reaction inside the hall may have been rapturous, but uh, Boris Johnson's conference speech went down like a lead balloon with much of the business world. Yeah, Richard Walker, managing director of Iceland and a Leave voter, complained about the government treating business like a, quote, endless sponge, when they can only weather so many cost increases at once. And the Federation of Small Businesses criticised the 45-minute speech, noting that Labour, not the Conservatives, are the only party, quote, with a pro-small business policy. And even the free market think tank, the Adam Smith Institute, described the address as bombastic, but vacuous and economically illiterate. Ouch. Well, let's well, uh, discuss us. all this with uh, Bloomberg's UK national editor, uh, David Merritt. Um, David, clearly the uh, government uh, comes with a bit of criticism from business. Is it your sense that this rather suits their their messaging or is it is it more coincidental than that? Well, it is quite extreme, isn't it? And it not, we're not used to this sort of reaction to a conservative prime, you know, this the party that used to pride themselves of being, in their words, the party of, of business. And to, to hear some of those reactions from leading figures and across the spectrum, actually, you have people who, you know, not necessarily a Brexit dividing line, some business leaders who were pro-Brexit also attacking um, the government. Um, and yes, maybe it is convenient for, for Johnson. They clearly, the Conservative Party have clearly um, identified a dividing line here, haven't they? And it's, it's kind of the, the, the topsy-turvy nature of British politics at the moment that you've got Conservatives finding it politically expedient to attack businesses and tell them that they're the ones who've got to raise wages and they're the ones who've got to fix problems like supply chain issues in the economy and that Labour um, are the ones who potentially would help business by, for instance, relaxing immigration rules um, and to, to, to solve some of these labour shortages. So that's a bit of an inversion of where we would expect the parties to kind of be. Um, but that's where we find ourselves in, you know, post-Brexit Britain. But how is this going to work uh, when we get towards an election? Because, uh, as many people have pointed out, the Conservative Party now bestrides the entire political spectrum. Can you really keep everyone on board at once? Well, that is what Johnson is maybe trying to do here, isn't it? Be all people, you know, all things to all people. I saw some some commentary immediately after the speech um, this week. Um, I think somebody described him as a giant toad squatting across <laughs> the entire spectrum of, of British politics. And um, where does Labour find its niche in that? Or where can it um, open up any clear water between their policies and the Conservatives? You know, this question of um, worker wages goes to the heart of it, doesn't it? We had in the Labour conference a motion passed to radically increase the minimum wage 
to, to an extent that most people agree is completely unworkable and, and could never really be happened. So it was a sort of impractical um, and slightly fantastical suggestion. Now, Johnson didn't mention the minimum wage yesterday or not specifics, but we, we understand that that is coming soon. He's going to accept a recommendation to, for, a, for a, an inflation busting increase on people's wages. And he's going to be able to go to his new voters across, you know, the, those former red wall seats and demonstrably show that they're getting more money in their paychecks um, every month. Of course, some more might be going out um, in other ways. But that for him is going to be the proof of his strategy of you know this, le- this, this, this so-called leveling up strategy, which is criticised for not really having any substance. But that is something very substantive that he's going to uh, that he's going to be able to pull off. And then if we do get an ele- as and when we get an election, you know, he's going to be able to say that I've made um, actual um, progress on this agenda and it's not just been uh, hot air. And as I said, it's very difficult for Labour uh, to come back to that with anything that is kind of believable by the public or, or makes economic sense um, as, a, as an offering to the public. I mean, the minimum wage is something which he can which he can turn on very easily. There are inflation risks, of course, but that's quite easy to deliver. What about some of the other stuff that's been promised? We, you know, we're, we're not we're perhaps you know only a couple of years away from a general election, and obviously, nothing much has been delivered so far because of COVID. Do you think Conservative MPs are starting to worry about delivery and that that election? I, you know, I think the levelling up agenda seems to be his is going to be his slogan, isn't it? Um, uh, for, the, for for a number of years, it's it's how to cement those old those new voters as as loyal conservative um, voters. So, what else can he deliver for that? You know, he did talk this week about uh, things like transport. He made a big point in his speech about the lack of proper transport networks across the north of England. That it's quite hard to get over the Pennines. You know, things like HS2. But actually, the 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 actions of the government aren't matching that sort of rhetoric, you know, how to do actually deliver these extensions to HS2 across the north of England. The cost of these things is eye-watering. The government finances are in an appalling state post the pandemic. Um, so again, there's a big question of how realistic is any of this to actually put on the table. It's one thing for Mr Johnson to stand up in Manchester and bemoan the fact that it takes too long to get from Manchester to Leeds. But are they actually going to do anything about it? And, you know, those are very long-term problems with a long-term solution. They're not going to be in place by the time this next election comes, whenever it does come. Um, And you've got to assume that voters are going to notice that, you know. Um, If there's no spades in the ground for these sorts of transport links, um, you can expect um, him to be criticised for that. But, you know, going back to your earlier point about the minimum wage, you know, rising, um, rising wages is what they're now claiming was a, was a goal of Brexit. So that is something that, you know, for those people who wanted Brexit done. But, you know, the, again, the effects of that inflationary economists lining up this week um, to sound a warning bells about what the long term effects will be. And yesterday we had the, um, the market suddenly deciding that the Bank of England is going to have to act potentially this year. Um, that's a whole year that faster than many people are thinking and interest rates are going to start going up. So yes, people might start seeing more money in their paycheck, but if their mortgage payments are going to go up as well and the cost of their food at their supermarkets going up as well, um, then the Prime Minister might suddenly find he has a big problem on his hands. 
Well, David, let me pursue that one, because I think that is really interesting. I mean, all, there were lots of analogies being drawn with the 1970s in the last few weeks. People talk about a winter of discontent. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing shortages, of course. We're seeing prices going up. We're seeing inflation coming in. Now, some of us, as old as me, can remember the 1970s uh, Labour government, uh, Dennis Healy scuttling off to see the IMF, the moment at which the financial markets lose faith in yes. the UK. That is a worry. Uh, you hinted at it there, but it, they, mm. by going into Labour territory, they risk perhaps a Labour disease. Uh, you know, absolutely. The, 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 the dreaded word here is stagflation, um, which was obviously a big characteristic of the economy in the 70s, um, a co the deadly combination of a stagnating economy and um, inflation. And when you read multiple reports this week from, from economists around the world, the number one country that is susceptible to stagflation is the United Kingdom. That is not going to be happy reading for the Prime Minister. Um, he seems to be pretty blasé about the question of inflation, but he's assuming, at least, and, he's, and he mentioned this in his speech, he talked about the fastest growth in the G7. I think that's questionable claim, but the forecasts are for that slowing rapidly. And, you know, there is consensus on this in most places in the world that inflation is very, very bad for growth. Um, uh, it's very bad for sentiment um, amongst the uh, population. And the Bank of England's job is to keep that under control. And I think when they see interest rates go, when they see inflation expectations bedding in and the public starting to feel like some of these price rises are permanent, um, they're going to act and they're going to act to they're going to increase and in, they're going to have to raise interest rates and the market there is there has been a bit of a sense of this amongst amongst investors traders when you see some of the commentary this week that yes the 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 forecast for things like the pound have turned people are turning very bearish on the british economy so regardless of the boosterism that mr johnson was, was making so much of this week that britain's economy is going to roar ahead that's not where the market is right now. And I think there are increasing forecasts for a, a rapid slowdown in growth brought about by both this combination of you know, labor shortages um, and supply chain issues, but also this, uh, you know, the awful specter of inflation um, that is now creeping in in so many areas of the economy. Yeah, see, Johnson's saying he wants a high wage, high skilled, high productivity and low tax economy. And I, I sort of went through those. And I think probably I'm not out of four, four of those. Um, do you think there's any sort of plan f for getting there, or is that just is that a, a sort of another soundbite, another something which is not necessarily not very achievable in the short term, really? Yes, and you know how how would that be delivered? How's a high productivity uh, economy delivered? That the British economy has been bedeviled by low productivity for for many years, and you can theorise about why that might be. One one theory is is that it's some of it's connected to this supply of cheap labour that Britain relied on for the EU, well, that's now been switched off. But just by switching that off, that doesn't automatically give you, of course, a high productivity um, uh, economy. And many business leaders pointing out this week, you know, you need um, things like automation and technology. These take a long time and a lot of investment, obviously, to, to, to ripple down and cause an increase in productivity. And Mr. Johnson keeps talking about how it's not up to government to fix these problems, that companies, that business need to step up and do it. Well, I'm sure most business leaders would say they've been trying to make their businesses more productive. Um, that is obviously the goal of, of, of a chief executive. Um, but there are many, many headwinds in place. So the idea that this can be switched on overnight, you know, that, yes, you can have high, the, the, the government can drive wages higher. Um, it's going to really struggle with those other parts. And he didn't mention, of course, that driving wages higher means ultimately higher inflation and all the damage that that would bring. 
What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. But first, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Now, the easing of COVID restrictions in the UK is turbocharging the market for London finance jobs. In September alone, more than 2,800 new jobs were advertised, marking the busiest month since at least January 2014. Now, according to recruiters Morgan McKinley and the data provider VacancySoft, third quarter postings are more than double last year's level. Well, the UK has ended a probe into British Airways and Ryanair over their refusal to reimburse customers when pandemic rules made flying illegal. While the Competition and Markets Authority says that it strongly believes people should get refunds, it's not going to take any action as it says the law isn't clear enough. BA only offered customers vouchers or rebooking, while discounter Ryanair only offered rebooking. And house prices in the UK increased in September at the fastest pace in more than 14 years, that's according to the Halifax. The housing market's boomed since the summer of last year, boosted by a tax cut and pandemic-driven demand for larger properties with space to work from home. Now, the Halifax reckons healthy demand is set to persist despite the headwinds currently facing the UK economy. Well, let's go back to the uh, Conservative Party conference. Boris Johnson's speech to the conference has been widely panned by the business community. It was the culmination of a week in which the party had seemed to be colonising even more of what had been Labour territory, high taxes and big government spending. Well, joining us now is Alex Dean, Senior Managing Director at FTI Consulting and Head of UK Public Affairs. Thanks uh, so much for joining us today, Alex. Alex, uh, the Conservatives are seeming to steal quite a lot of uh, Labour's clothes. Do you think the party is is sort of genuinely changing direction or is it just a sort of change of, a change of message? Hi, great to be back with you. I agree with your premise that there's, in the absence of a, of a strong opposition right now, we can talk about the extent to which that is or isn't Keir Starmer's fault, um, the government is kind of drifting in the centre as well as on its traditional right. I think that's in part because of the seats that it won at the last election and the desire to hang on to the so-called red wall seats and voters that switched to the Conservative Party, not least um, due to Brexit and their desire to, in inverted commas, get Brexit done. But I do think part of this is to do with the Prime Minister's personal experience as well. I mean, I'm looking at the transcript to the speech now. It's a remarkable um, piece of public uh, rhetoric. It's not a conventional speech. Right? I mean, it's not a, a, a normal speech. And it's one that seems to come very much from the Prime Minister's heart. He talks, he talks quite movingly, in my view, about his own experience having had COVID and um, his desire to support the NHS and paint the Conservative Party as a party of the NHS. That is unquestionably traditionally Labour territory. So on that, I completely agree with your point. But there is something else in it, too, that I thought was interesting. His desire to reach out to and demonstrate support for the older generation in Britain, which traditionally turns out and votes, and traditionally turns out for the Conservative Party. That is classic Tory territory. So he's having both his cake and eating it. 
But the problem with that cake and eating thing, which of course famously he also tried to do over Brexit some time back, uh, is that in the end you've got two sorts of, of older voters. You've got the older voters perhaps in the south, southeast, the shire counties, perhaps people who don't really appreciate higher taxes necessarily. And then you've got the red wall uh, voters, some of them also old and, and just more dependent on the state. Is it possible yeah. that such a broad church can be held together? Well, I think right now it, it looks like it can be. If you look at polling, the support for the government is unchanged. And if it were repeated, it would be another 80-seat majority were we to have an election. And if boundary changes, which are currently on the, the books to go become new statute uh, law, if they go through, then it would be even higher. I think net, the Conservative Party gains about 15 seats. So suddenly you're looking at not far shy of a 100-seat majority, which implies that the answer to your question is yes. If things go unchanged and the Labour Party doesn't significantly rally more support uh, to its banner, then it can not only keep that coalition together, but go further. And of course, this is not normal politics, right? This is a party that has, in different kinds of um, uh, configurations, been in government now for a decade. You would normally see some significant erosion of support for the government. But because of the change in personalities, you know, from David Cameron to Theresa May to Boris Johnson, and the change in setup from coalition with the Liberal Democrats to now the Conservative Party governing alone, it doesn't feel like the same government that we had uh, 10 years ago. And it definitely, on uh, any kind of voting intention figures, suggests that right now this government is sitting quite pretty in the polls. Yeah, that's something I was quite aware of at the conference itself. There was a lot of talk about uh, about change and about uh, you know a fresh start, as if the Conservatives hadn't been in power for what are we, eleven years or so? Um, just on the on some of the headwinds coming up, the uh, yeah. the universal credit uplift, rising prices, petrol shortages. Is any of this stuff gonna gonna stick? Well, the one time you will recall, Tony Blair was never defeated at the ballot box. He was defeated by the traditional enemy of the Labour Party, the Labour Party. Um, he was brought down internally. And the one time that the Conservative Party was ahead of him in the polls was over a fuel crisis. So it does, it does send a shiver up the spine of government when you have something basic that is um, under shortage and creates panic as we saw with the petrol crisis. But it seems like that one is pretty much resolved at presently. I think on the challenge that the government faces over universal credit, there's widespread acknowledgement that something's got to, to change. But it seems to me the driver on that's going to be inflation. And I know you've been discussing this on uh, different shows on, on Bloomberg. So uh, not news to you or your audience. But I think that rising inflation means that um, we're likely to see an increase in basic the basic level of support um, into universal credit and those who are receiving benefits whilst in work that may approximate something like the amount that's about to drop away again. I do think it's it's fair of government to kind of follow through on this commitment because it was it was a temporary gain, right? It was very clear this was a temporary uplift. The problem is once you give something to somebody, it's very hard to take it away again. Um, as I say, I think it's quite likely to return in, in a new form next year or, or, or thereafter due to uh, rising inflation. So on that issue, I don't think the government's going to be um, challenged hugely as long as it's seen to be reacting. And then on more broad economic growth, it looks to me, given the huge number of vacancies that we've got in jobs, you know, highest of a million vacancies in the UK, and unemployment a great deal lower than it was projected to be, A, um, after Brexit, B, after coronavirus. The government's quite able to point to things and, and paint quite a positive picture 
that does not map to the to the felt experience of some people in in society, and that's where the danger sits for government, I think. But it can point to some pretty positive economic stats, particularly compared to some of our international comparisons. Well, let's then pick up on something you mentioned right at the beginning of this conversation, Alex, which is, uh, in a sense, the, the lack of an alternative, the fact that there is yeah. a huge gap on the left, uh, that this is not a party, the Labour Party, that is seen as a viable alternative, despite Keir Starmer's best efforts. Is that perhaps part of the secret of Tory success? That's definitely a big chunk. I mean, any honest Conservative will admit that to you, that part of the reason that the, the party is doing so well in the polls is that the Labour Party simply hasn't got its act together. I feel, on one view, quite... I hope it doesn't sound... I've got no right to sound patronising. I don't mean to about Keir Starmer, who's clearly applying his best efforts in the interest of his party and as, and as he sees it, the interest of his country. But he's clearly going nowhere. And... I feel quite sorry for him because, you know, that all of the energy you traditionally get in a new leadership in your first hundred days and so forth was denied to him because you you both will well remember government was doing daily press conferences whilst he was you know, going through his new leadership period and millions of people watched them. People tuned in to Downing Street to watch government doing things and it denied Keir Starmer all of the oxygen that, that was around um, his new leadership. I think sometimes, it's, no matter how unfair it may seem, times are against you. And if I think to when I was working for the Tory party, another QC, eminent, you know, well-spoken, plausible prime minister, just like Keir Starmer is, Michael Howard could have been prime minister in this country if just times were against him. He went backwards and he, um, he formed a position which meant that his inheritors could become, go on and become prime minister. I think this might be a case of a second QC in our lifetimes, doing his bit to steady the ship and then passing on to someone else. It just feels increasingly to me like Keir Starmer's time has come and gone almost without him realising it. So do you think, given he's missed that crucial first period, that first impression, do you think there's any way back from that? Or do, or do you think that perhaps uh, it's time for somebody else? Is it it's really late? hard to recreate um, to, to leadership, to reboot and have a 2.0. And most political careers don't uh, work like that. Of course, sometimes they do. Um, political systems all around the world see people make big comebacks and you know often come back from period out of office to return to office but it is quite difficult to see Starmer doing that. I fear that the more likely scenario for him is staggering on for a while for want of a better alternative from within his own ranks. I, I actually have a quite unpopular view that I think Angela Rayner is a good media performer and quite uh, strong but she's clearly she turns off as many people in the country as she turns on. Uh, many of the biggest hitters within the Labour Party are either on the back bench or have left Parliament altogether. And we're still seeing these squabblings in Labour constituencies trying to deselect so-called Blairites and squabbling over the Labour constitution and who gets to vote for uh, the leader and so forth. And as long as those internal battles go on, whilst I don't think Keir Starmer will be replaced, I also don't think he'll accelerate uh, into um, government. So my instinct is they will carry on in this kind of stagnation phase for a while. And to be clear, that helps the Tory government a great deal. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. 
so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.